Welcome everyone to Thurgo and the Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious League Freak, and I'm joined today by returning guest Elliot Richardson, Parramatta Eels fan, one-eyed eel guru. Uh, how's it going, Elliot? Uh, good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on again. Pretty good. Uh, now, last time we talked, it was kind of weird because we, we talked a little bit about the Eels and we're like, their season's going to go one way or the other. It's either get, they're going to pull it together and they're going to get back on track and they're going to be a team to worry about or they're kind of going to fade away. And I reckon it was maybe a week and a half later that Mitch Moses screwed his leg up and that was it. It was all over. Um, what was that like for an Eels fan? Because you come into the season and you would have been like ready to rock and roll, get back into it. It, it, you know, the thing of like you've got to have lost one to win one was there with the Eels. And it just it felt like it didn't get going for them. And then it kind of fell apart a little bit. It was, it was really weird. It was kind of disappointing to see. Yeah, yeah. But I, as an Eels fan, it's not entirely surprising. If you look yeah. at their 2002 season after 2001, it was a big drop-off. Uh, 2010... We didn't even make the finals. We were tipped as a, as a premiership favourite that following season. Uh, and then, you know, this season, as opposed to 2022, again, a, a fairly decent drop-off in, in performance. It's a bit frustrating because they could put in some really good performances mm. at times and then some equally as poor ones. And in, particularly in some of the, the games when we'd be, we'd be in it, you know, particularly earlier in the season, um, went to Golden Point against... Melbourne and got done, and it was a game that Melbourne weren't in front literally until Harry Grant scored the the match winner. Now, mm-hmm. up until then, we'd been in front or level with them the entire game, and funnily enough, you know, we beat Penrith the next week in Golden Point, which, again, you know, frustrating that against two of the Premiership heavyweights, we get done by a try in Golden Point and then win by a point. Mm-hmm. And then we had other, other games this season where, like uh, against uh, the Dolphins, where we put on an absolute clinic in the first half and then clearly clocked off in the second half. And we were never really in, in trouble of getting run down. You, know, you put on, I think it was like 48 points or 44 points and a half. You're not going to lose that game, but for us not to go on with it was mm. a, a bit disappointing. Uh, I know uh, a lot of Eel fans were a little bit concerned about that kind of uh, attention to detail, just the intensity going out of the side. Uh, but in, in saying that, there's also a bit of an understanding that I think we only had our top 17 available for one game this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was a game against, I think against Brisbane and, and out of that game, um, Rick and Campbell Gillard uh, did his groin was out for like eight weeks. And I think junior Barlow got suspended. And I think um, might've been Sean Lane ended up doing his hamstring after coming back from an elbow or something a couple weeks later. So it was like, we got the 17 on the field for one game. They weren't particularly impressive, and within a couple of weeks, basically half our side had, had fallen apart. Yeah, and no, it, like it, it was weird in that I think most people were expecting the Eels to get back into it after not the best start, but then it just was all over so quickly. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, anybody, any team can have a season like that where it just doesn't work out for them. We've seen it a few times happen, but um, for the Eels, like there was – you kind of expected them to be a top three side, maybe top four side at the lowest. And um, it was, but when Moses, you know, got injured and that was like the the hammer blow and it just really disappointing. But next season, how are you feeling about them going into next year? Because 
I mean, they they should be a lot better. Uh, they with Hodgson retiring, they won't be like building around the expected game that he was going to bring them. Um, and I think that's probably a positive thing for them. I think that they'll be at least top six, and that's been pretty conservative. Where do you where do you rate them going into next year? It was kind of that what version of Parramatta turns up. You know, on their day, they're a top four side quite comfortably. Uh, I think mm-hmm. a big part of next season is that consistency. And, it, and we haven't mentioned it yet, but we did discuss it earlier in the year but with Dylan Brown getting suspended out for seven yeah. weeks. It was something entirely within his own control as well, which is the most frustrating thing. You, you can't do too much about uh, injuries. You know, injuries happen in rugby league, but to have a guy, one of your best players, um, out for such a large chunk of the season entirely for something he did off the field that he you know, had no reason to do and was utterly stupid in doing. So, you know, to have him back, hopefully for a full season next year, Mitchell Moses, hopefully for a full season, you know, I'd love to see Sean Lane back at full fitness. The good thing is he was back as per normal for uh, pre-season. So mm-hmm. no no concerns there about his fitness because he's had, uh, you know, broken cheekbone or broken jaw, uh, hamstring tear, elbow dislocation the poor guy was through the ringer last year and he's such yeah. a big part of our our side as well through that left edge he's he's defensively fantastic on the ball he's such a an awkward guy for the opposition to try and tackle because he, he's just got such a long limbs and he's got really good ball skills for a big guy and he seems to just always get dylan brown's head into the game he seems to really mm-hmm. push brownie hard and and make sure he's always you know on the on, on what's what's happening now and, and, and not worrying too much or, or clocking off. Um, I think the, the Josh Hodgson thing is an interesting because for me, looking at the start of 2023, it was clear that the side was trying to work out how to play with him and he was trying to work out how to play with his teammates. Yeah. Um, I liked what he was bringing in terms of uh, attack. His deceptiveness around the ruck is something that we hadn't really had for a while. And Reed Martin is very, very good at just getting the ball out. But he doesn't really probe markers. He doesn't open up space. And Hodgson was starting to do that for us. He was seemed to be starting to work up a combination with uh, Junior coming off the, the ruck and being able to target and isolate defenders. And he'd also, I think, pulled out a couple of um, you know, short-range kicks. And um, I think there was also a couple games where his, his kick pressure brought about uh, a kick out in the fall and, and gave us field position. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what our dummy half rotations like next year with Joey Lussick and Brendan Hands, both NRL players. I'd like to see Brad roll with two dummy halves in a game, one on the bench, one starting, and to see how we go from there. I think that the way the game's being played now, it really suits to have that second dummy half who can spell your, your starter or uh, similar to how Penrith do in, in that sometimes you don't even start your starting hooker, he comes off the bench because you're trying to get them through that uh, initial contact phase where they're not going to get gassed after 20 minutes and have to come off. Uh, you know, if, if, if Penner's not controlling the ball or, or they've got to do some defence early on, then they can get they can get on and, and start getting a roll forward down the, the middle of the field. Um, so, again, it just really depends on what version of Parramatta turns up next year. I'm a little concerned about a backline depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big issue this year. Uh, it was an issue that wasn't addressed by recruitment and retention. You know, they released Tom Opacek to go to England, which is fair enough. Look, he was offered a fantastic deal, a deal he wasn't going to get in, in the NRL. So, you know, so be it. Go go and get get paid. Um, your career short, so go and get paid. 
but to then not replace him and rely on a couple of project players, you know, guys like Isaac Lumi Lumi uh, or Arthur Miller Stephen. And unfortunately, he's done his ACL, so he's out for next year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, and then we also had Zach Sini, who, after bursting on the scene for the Tigers, hasn't really done much and unfortunately didn't really put his claim down uh, in reserve grade for us. Again, you know, we've kind of gone to market. We've picked up Morgan Harper, and I know a lot of Manly fans are kind of glad to see him off the books. So, again, I'm a little concerned by if we do get injuries or we do end up with guys in origin squads. I think we're kind of lucky in that our back line isn't hugely, um, like, uh, blues-orientated. I know Will Benassini is uh, available, and his name came up in the media this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Micah is not... not I can't imagine he would, would ever get picked from New South Wales. You know, Clint, we've all seen what's happened uh, with him and, and Freddie Fittler deciding to play for three minutes on the bench. <laughs> I, feel, I feel ridiculous. Like we all just want Clint Gutherson to be just left alone by New South Wales for a while. Just for him, like, as you say, absolutely ridiculous what they've been doing with him. It's it's mm-hmm. terrible. Him and Nico Hines, I did not oh. understand that. There was clearly no plan for them, how they're going to be used. They picked them because Freddie likes Clint. And look, Clint is, I think, similar to Dylan Edwards in that if you pick them for representative football, you play them at fullback or you don't play them at all. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Don't stick them on the bench. I mean, being fair, Edwards did play pretty well on the wing for, for Australia. Um, but I think at, at origin level, it's either you've got Tedesco as your fullback or you're going with a different fullback. You don't, don't stick someone on the bench who can play across the back line like that. Yeah. That's, that's not what you're looking for. Yeah, it's uh, man, New South. I'm so glad we've got a new coach in in Mark Maguire because the the Brad Fittler thing. I think we're all sucked into it early on with his early success, but the I mean, me and Andrew have ranted about his coaching for a while now, and just the way that he almost just hamstrung players in the team, and then as you say with those. Those like just picking guys that he liked on the bench and having zero plan for them, like obviously no plan. <laughs> it's just well, he admitted that with with Gutherson, he said, "I don't know how I'm going to use him." I'm like, "How can you pick a guy and then say that?" Yeah, at least lie like, to the media, going, "No, no, we've got a plan for him," and at least it looks like you're thinking ahead. Yeah. And then he quit because he didn't need all the hassle. It's like I wish he could have quit about three years ago. It would have been fantastic. Yeah. Um. Reed Marnie, he went to the he was he was your hooker. He did really well for Parramatta. There were a couple of times in big games where he just wasn't available or he, he just was off his game a little bit because he was carrying an injury or whatever. And he goes to the Bulldogs on a big money deal. And has I mean like I don't follow either team, the Bulldogs or the Eels, but has what I would characterize as a catastrophic season for the Bulldogs, where all of the things that you kind of liked about his game, he didn't do. And then he added things like he would give away terrible penalties. His kicking game was abysmal at times, like game destroying for the Bulldogs at times. What was it like to watch him go and play for the Bulldogs and like have a season that bad? Uh, funny. <laughs> um, you know, watching the, the first game he played against us was was a home game for us at Combank, and our mm-hmm. middle forwards terrorised him that entire game. And you could see it, like, in their face. They were going after him, and they were going after him hard. 
Like every carry from Junior or Reg was directed straight at him and was just challenging him. And there was a couple of times he backed out of the contact. He didn't want it. Um, and then when he was coming at the dummy half, particularly if the dogs had field position, they were slapping at his arms. They were grabbing him. They were they were holding him just after he passed the ball. They were really getting on top of him. Um, I was surprised when the dogs named him in the leadership group, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, he's never at Parramatta struck me as part of that leadership group. And he's still fairly young. Uh, yeah. Debuted at the end of 2018 and had his first full season in 2019. So he's still pretty fresh into into first grade. And he's had a, like, as you, as you mentioned, he's had a few injuries as well, um, which means he hasn't played the full suite of games available to him. Um, on his day, he's one of the better hookers in the competition. But I think the game kind of has to fall his way for that to happen. He's not a, a type of hooker that will turn momentum your way. He's not a Harry Grant who's going to, you know, pick out the the tired A defender and and get around him or or find a bit of extra space around the ruck and, and go off for a 20, 30-metre dart. Um, a lot of his best qualities require your forward pack to really do the business and get on top and then give him the space to do what he does. And if you watch the Bulldogs this year, they, they didn't have forward pack. You know, they had a lot of injuries. Um, they really lacked an ability to physically match sides. Um, and, you know, and part of that's also on their recruitment and that you go and spend that much money on Reed, Josh Adokar, Matt Burton. Now they've gone and got Stephen Crichton from your blokes. You just pumped all that money and kick out, pumped all that money into a lot of kind of headline grabbing players, but they're not the players that get in and get the job done for you every week. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, that. You look at Penrith, and we will get probably get onto this a little bit later. But so much of what they do is because of the likes of James Fisher Harrison, Moses Leota, and then Liam Martin on an edge. You need that work rate in the middle of the field to set your platform. And it's, it's it's basic rugby league. You know, the best sides do that. They have the ability to make sure that their hookers and their halves have the space they need. Um, you know, the Bulldogs have dug themselves a hole. They're desperately trying to crawl out of. Um, whether or not they're doing it the right way. Look, I don't think they are. Again, I don't think spending more money on your back line fixes your problems. They've got a pretty serious issue with their middle forward. If you pay attention to the media, they've got some issues with their culture regarding Raymond Fatala Mariner. You know, less than a year ago, they named him captain. Now they're trying to get him out of the out of the club. And they say that he's got a problem with the coaching staff and, um, you know, look, Reid wanted to go there. They... By all reports, the the offer from Parramatta was more than fair. Um, the dogs offered a bit more, and and Reed decided he was going. So you know, if he wants to go deal with that, he can down there at Canterbury. Um, you know, I know we missed the finals this year, but we were a lot closer to making them than Canterbury were. Yeah. And and something similar for, for Isaiah Papali'i as well. He's gone and got himself wooden spoon a year after playing in a grand final, and. Again, similar thing. He went to a, a club that is really struggling for direction, struggling with their own identity, their own culture. Um, you know, the Tigers are probably more of a basket case than Canterbury. Just, you know, you bring a guy in like Tim Sheens, do your review, he turns around and goes, well, appoint me as head coach. <laughs> they appoint him for two years. He walks after a season. They appoint a rookie who's had one season as an assistant coach, retired like two years ago. You know, his assistant is an old teammate who I think retired three or four years ago. You're looking at that club and going, that is a club in desperate need of a clean out from, like, top to bottom. Like, uh, 
they've thrown so much in terms of coaches and players at the problem. You go, no, no, your problem is your administration. And I can say this as a Parramatta fan because I've been through it. Mm-hmm. They need to clean that administration out. You cannot yeah. have a major sponsor on the board. That is a recipe for disaster. It almost happened to Parramatta. Pertex CEO asked for a spot on the board. He was told no, so he pulled his sponsorship. That was one oh, of the yeah. few things that Eels administration got right. Was they said, <laughs> no, that is a bad idea. Mm. And look, he went off and sponsored Brisbane and, and they sponsored the old stadium. Look, that's fine. It monetarily wasn't great for the club, but for the long-term stability of it, it was. And then you look at the the problems they've had with Justin Pascoe as CEO and then the, the controlling stake in the board as well. Like they've got that apparent review that's being conducted into the club that's supposedly independent. Um, you know, they've been trying to get John Coates on board or Barry O'Farrell as well. Um, I don't think it's like a one-person, you know, one person can fix everything. Uh, you know, the Parramatta ended up fixing everything because the state government stepped in and absolved the board and or dissolved the board and, and installed an administrator, and it took us, I think, three or four years to get everything right. So it's not going to be a quick fix on mm-hmm. that side of things as well. Um, but as a fan of the Eels and watching what happened with Ice and, and Reed, I'm like, well, you guys kind of knew that going in. You chose to leave. Um, that's your problem. The, the one, the one player I really enjoyed watching last season was Barada Nyakore for the Warriors, and the Warriors to have such a great season. Uh, they were basically the team I was supporting in the finals. I wanted to see them go all the way. Uh, it's always great when the Warriors are playing good football, playing very different style of football to what's been successful in the past. You know, under Daniel Anderson and Ivan Cleary, but it's been really effective for them, and it was clear that you know they were all enjoying. The footy and Sean Johnson. Honestly, uh, I'm a bit gutted that he didn't get the Dalian because I thought his consistency across the year probably should have earned him the Dalian over kind of a Callum Ponga having like a really good back half of the year. But um, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like a trend with the Dalian. It's like oh, you had half a good year with the with the Knights Dalian, mm. you get one. Um, yeah, you know. I I wrote off Johnson. I I was mm. like, I was I was like, man, it's done. And it was sad because I always loved watching him play. But I wrote him off, and I was like, it must have really affected him those COVID seasons where they're away from their family and that. Uh, it just must have got him more than anyone. That's all I can think because I I was watching a guy that it was over with and for him to come back the way he did. And that it was that game against the sharks where they just, they went in at halftime and they were like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do this anymore. And they just turned their entire season around. And it was such a shame to see like, cause he, he had injury problems towards the end of the year because I'm like you, I love, I always love seeing, the Warriors in the finals because this it's almost like I think it's what I like seeing is the way that New Zealand celebrates it and it feels like they're bringing the celebration to everything else in the finals whereas a lot of other teams you know they've been there they've done that they've got history of that and stuff but when the Warriors are there it just feels like there's it almost feels like there's a carnival atmosphere around it. it's hard to explain and I, I love that and yeah, it was it was cool to see them back. I hope that they back it up again this year. I think that they'll at the very least go close to the finals. 
Um, but I would love to see them once again be like a top four side or something and, and just be rock solid in the finals all year because it, it I, I just love seeing them there. I just think that, you know, it's good for the game and it's good to watch as well. Yeah, well, they've got Roger Tuivasa-Shek back as well. That should yeah, be what, uh, good to watch. Do you reckon they'll play him? I mean, part of me thinks that they – because they've got Chance uh, Nicol Cogstad at bat mm. at the fullback, and he played pretty damn well for for them. You know, he he had a couple of lean seasons at the Raiders, and he went over there, and I was worried he was going to be one of those buys where, you know, they brought back a Kiwi, and it just didn't work out. It wasn't like that at all. He played really well for them. RTS coming back into the side, part of me thinks maybe they'll put him in in the centres. Like, he's a big dude. He'd be able to handle yeah. the centres. Yeah, I'd but be sticking the him same, in centres. Yeah, but, at, like, at the same time, if he starts showing that he's still got it, it's going to be hard not to, you know, and he's going to get a chance at fullback because mm-hmm. Chance gets, yeah. he gets injured every so often, and it's going to be hard to get that fullback roll off again if he shows that he's still got the mobility which we'll have to wait and see. Um, and he's still got, you know, that we've seen players go to rugby union and come back and they've, they're missing that edge. I'm hoping that's not the case this time around with RTS. Yeah, yeah, let's hope he's still got uh, probably a bit more speed, that, speed than what Wendell Saylor had. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Wendell came back and, and was still a very important part of the Dragons and uh, Matt Rogers came back and, oh, <laughs> wasn't he great for the Titans? Um, <laughs> Who came would back be the Who's the best one that's probably come back? I mean, you could say, you could say Sonny Bill Williams, but he had such a, I think he had such a small role to play. It was, mm. it was easier for him to come back, even than say Sailor and that, who they were starting the whole game. Yeah, um, I'd say it was Matt Rogers because he came back and he was playing for a, you know a new franchise that were trying to get yeah. themselves established, and he had the, you know. Playmaking skill was still there. The the vision was mm-hmm. still there. Um, he still had a fair bit of speed about him as well. Um, and I think, you know, when I even see Titans fans now, they're, you know, because they had quite a, a good finish to the season, saying, you know, we might have found our, you know, first set of, of consistent halves since, since, since Rodgers and Prince. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, uh, like, I, he didn't. He wasn't a world beater, but yeah, he was he was good and consistent for them, wasn't he? That's probably about as the most you can ask for. Because I mean, they come back when they were not super late into their careers, but late enough where you know they're not going to be fleet of foot or anything like that anymore. I guess. Um, now looking at this past year, and you know we saw what the Panthers did this year. There was a lot of talk about. Um, the Parramatta Eels in the 80s, which must have been pretty cool to hear hear all of that sort of talk again and, and hearing the Eels being brought up and what people thought about about their run in the 80s. Um, I, don't, I don't like comparing teams from any of the eras because I think it sucks because you kind of grow up loving those teams that have achieved so much. And the only thing you can ever say is, the Dragons were better than anyone because they just were. Um, and every other team around them that had runs, they were just, they were what they were and that we should just, you know, applaud that run. But mm. what were some of the things you heard during all of that talk that maybe stood out for you or like, you know, were the things that you loved hearing about? Like I saw um, Peter Sterling a few weeks ago 
and I don't know if he was at some sort of function and he was asked about it and he said, you know, it was, it was good to see Penrith do it. And they said to him, like, would you like to see them go four in a row? And he was like, to be honest, I'll be death riding them. And I thought, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious because it was honest. I loved yeah. it. Um, and that and that stood out for me, and I was just like, oh, that's fucking great. Like that, you know, he's been retired for bloody nearly 40 years now, but he's still got that competitiveness about him. It's so cool. Yeah, um, uh, is there something that stood out for you that people started talking about the eels of the 80s? Uh, it's probably still the respect a lot of them had for that group of players that mm-hmm. played. You know, a lot of people forget they actually made four grand finals in the row. Uh, yeah, in yeah. 84. And Steve Edge retired after that season. Um, he was actually an assistant coach to John Boney in 86 when they won their fourth premiership. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has the respect, you know, the particularly from a lot of the Penrith fans, you know, recognising the type of players that they were being compared to. Mm. Um, you know, for for Cleary to be compared to Sterling, because, again, you know, very, very different eras. Um, but I think a lot of people had forgotten that Peter Sterling had... Um, gone on the Immortals Tour in 1982 as the halfback for Australia, and they yeah. won every game on that tour to England and, and Europe. Um, and then the the likes of Michael Cronin kind of being, you know, given his due as one of the greatest centres the game's ever seen. And it was actually funny, just recently, I, the family and I went down south for, for a holiday. We went past Jerringong, and I, I pointed out to my wife, I said, oh, it's Jerringong, that's hometown of Mick Cronin. Uh, he still owns the pub down there, and he's just retired from coaching their their country rugby league side. She's like, so do you just navigate via rugby league players on the way down the coast? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, pretty much, because we went past Robertson not too much longer. And I went, oh, that's the home of Nathan and Ian Hindmarsh, and Ian Hindmarsh owns dairy. <laughs> but um, it was also the, the, like when I mentioned Jerry going, I said, you know, Cronin was the last player who picked out of country rugby league to represent Australia. Like, that's how good he was. Yeah. That, in yeah. an era of... Of, of virtual amateurism. They were being paid, but they had a second job. Not only was he not in Sydney, he was playing for a country team, and they went, yeah, you're good enough to represent your country. Sure, no problem. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, of course, the comparisons were made between Brian To'o and, and Eric Groth Sr., just they're very different players, but yeah. kind of similar in the way that they are blockbuster. Um, there was a discussion like on, on Eels forums, more about, you know, which it always comes up, you know, which players in the 80s, you know, if you're, you were building your perfect side, who would who would play where? And, uh, you know, Eric Gross Sr. always gets to run on the wing. You know, the centres yeah. are always Ella and Cronin, and the halves yeah. are always Kenny and Sterling. Yeah. Um, which, which is nuts. You, you look at that side, you go, that is, that is insane. But you look at Penrith, and they're a little bit different in that you, your halves are quite clear, clearly – Cleary and, and Luai. Mm-hmm. But if you go into a, a discussion about your hooker, well, Appy wasn't there this year when they won their third. You know, not many teams can do that. They can lose their starting hooker and, and and still be as good as they were. They had to change the way they played a little bit. Had to mm-hmm. play a little more direct. They, they couldn't, you know, pull sides apart as much through the middle. Um, they had to rely probably a lot more on... I'd have to look at stats, but they seem to rely a lot more on that bash and barge from their props than, than they did previously. Mm. Um, and James Richard Harris and Moses Leota were outstanding all season and they're outstanding for New Zealand. And, and didn't, did Fisher Harris, I think Fisher Harris has won the Golden Boot. And he yeah, he did today. 
no, yeah. more than deserves it. I, I can't wait till they change the origin eligibility so he's representing New South Wales. Because <laughs> 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 he'd probably be the one player that would take it personally against Queensland. Um, he probably would, yeah. I think that with the... It's interesting when, because, yeah, it it is kind of different in that because the salary cap's influence on the Panthers mm. um, and they, like, the team that they won their first title with on this run compared to the team they've got now, there's quite a few, like, major changes there. Mm. And, it, like, I know that there were changes to the Eels when they had their run, but they, there wasn't any, like, there wasn't, like, Kikau was just this giant, devastating player. I don't think you ever saw a giant, devastating player come out of the Eels team during that run. And it's because of a different era. Just, you yeah. know, like, it's not good or bad. It just was what it was. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of difficult to line them up against one another. But I think that the one thing, like, I during the uh, Pacific Championship, and mostly Yoda and James Fisher Harris are running out for New Zealand and they're playing great. And I'm like, holy shit, they play for the same club and it's my club. Like, how often has that ever happened? And and I, I, I couldn't really think of a time where two test props who were at the very least like, I mean, they're both in the top five, I would say. I think you, there's a few other guys like Payne Haas, you, you know, you toss him in there. Um, Big Tino, if you consider him to be a prop, he's in there somewhere. Uh, but to have two of them on the one team is absolutely outrageous. And clear is difficult to sort of rate because of where he's only 26. Like, and, and you kind of rate him against, like everyone we're rating clear against now have had entire careers. Yeah. Which it's, is, it's hard, you know? It's always difficult to make that comparison. Like, I saw they were saying, oh, Cleary, you know, he's won three premierships by the time he's 26 and um, he's done this and he's done that. And it, it's very much like a case of, well, let's let his career play out, you know, because who knows yeah. what will happen. Um, but I think, again, I think a lot of people forget that I think Sterling had won three premierships by the age of 23. Yeah, like that, yeah, exactly. That, it's, it's like the, the passage of time goes and... Um, You'd also say, I had this discussion with a Penrith fan at the gym recently because he, he saw all the Eels gear I've got. <laughs> gym, yeah. gym shorts, all the stuff. Um, but he was saying, you know, as a Penrith fan, he's a, he's a great club halfback, um, but I'd really like to see him do it for New South Wales and in the way that Andrew Johns used to. Because Johns's legacy was was built in origin. Yes, he won two premierships in Newcastle, and he was the difference between Newcastle winning and losing. But Johns isn't an immortal if he doesn't have that, I, I reckon he's not an immortal if he doesn't have that 2005 series. To come in and do what he did is, yeah. you know, it's still oh. spoken about nearly 20 years later. Yeah, it, it, at the very least, it was anybody that was going to question it had to shut up at that point. Like, yeah. I, I remember I got to see him play in the uh, 95 World Cup. And ruined my probably ruined my high school sleeping patterns for forever. But um, I stayed up and watched those games, and he played some of the best games I've ever seen. And he's playing at hooker, yep. and it was like you could you could see something was going on. You're like, what the fuck is going on here? This is unbelievable. And then yeah, he sort of started building that club career. But as you say, it was more about what he was doing at Origin that people were seeing it. 
And I, I would agree. I think that that was the full stop on his career that where he come out, you know, you were wondering what he was going to do in that, that origin series in 05. And he just, he put down a mark, he put down a historic marker and that was it. It was all over. Well, I mean, let's even talk about the greatest, you know, Wally Lewis. What's he mm. spoken about? It's spoken about that he is the king of origin, mm-hmm. Brett Kenny. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's an immortal because of what he did in the origin arena. And for a lot of those players, like, uh, particularly the older players, I think there's almost a split between origin and and um, and, and test football. Mm-hmm. Like Arthur Beetson, I think, only played the one origin match. But mm-hmm. it was his, first of all, driving of the origin concept, but also his exploits for not just East, but representing Australia and I think being the first Indigenous captain of Australia mm-hmm. in any sport as well was, was a big part of that and his contribution to um, Aboriginal football uh, was a big part of that too because they always talk about, you know, the impact that player has had on, on the game. So, yeah, I, I think you're right in that. We're talking about Cleary. He's 26. Let's see how the rest of his career plays out before we start tagging him as the greatest of all time because it was a similar thing with Cameron Smith. For a long time, he was just a good hooker. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and the best hooker in the, the current era. Then it came, well, maybe he's the best hooker in the past 20 years. And then by the end of his career, when he's still performing at the highest of high levels and he, you know, retires from origin, which not too many players get to retire from origin. Most are dropped and then they just don't get picked again. For the vast majority of players, but for him to step away and just go, no, I'm done. And then similarly with his NRL career, just go, no, I'm, I'm finished. I'm going out on top. Um, it was kind of towards those last couple of years of his career where everyone went, no, he's the greatest of all time. In, in, yeah. And there's obviously a little bit of, of recency bias there, but in terms of the, the way he changed the game as a hooker, again, you know, you get to look at that now with kind of the fullness of time and look at who came before him, who's coming after him, and, and get to be able to judge where he sits in the historical record. Um, but just just on your point about when was the last time a side had two two props who were kind of the best in the game? Well, I don't know if you really want to bring this up, but it was probably Brisbane <laughs> when they had their very questionable salary cap. Um, yeah, early 2000s that, when they got Petro and, and Webke. Uh, yeah, so in my head, in my head, Petro in that era is still a second role, but he wasn't. He was a prop by then. Yeah, yeah. I just recently I was, heard a. Sorry, uh, go on. I just recently heard a podcast Webke. Uh, it was on James Graham's podcast. And it was interesting hearing him talk about that era with the Broncos and saying that, well, he was the bash and barge, just smash him up prop, and, and Petro was the guy with the silky ball skills and the nice footwork. And I'm like, all I remember <laughs> is you two just terrorising New South Wales. <laughs> and then you two, like, I love watching both of them play for Australia. Like, watching them yeah. in Ashes series and um, being able to just... just like the 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 confrontations between them and the, the Kiwi forwards when you knew mm-hmm. the first twenty minutes of an Anzac test was gonna be the toughest twenty minutes pretty much outside origin every season and the Kiwis had come at it as hard as they could and you knew Webke and Petra were gonna come hard, as hard as they could as well. Um that's probably the probably the last time you you'd say that there was a, a club with a a set of starting props like Penrith's are at the moment, and Penrith have the the nice, well, probably maybe I don't know, maybe they were they were looking to the future and going, well, if these two are any good, we're glad that neither of them are New South Welshmen. Um, they can both play for the Kiwis and they're available all year. 
there, you know what? There's part of, yeah, there's definitely an element of that for sure because, you know, we, like when we get to origin now, and I think the other thing is too, like we've been hitting it in the back, outside backs a little bit. Mm. Um, and then because of the way the origin selection's been and stuff, we've kind of been able to get one of our halves or both of them we've been able to hold on to in, in the first grade team. And, and on top of that, there's been some really good buys of like backups with Sullivan you know, we, we had him last year and uh, Cogger this year who, like, we don't win the premiership without Cogger in mm. that grand final. Um, so, and look, you win three in a row, you've got to have luck at some point yeah, as well. Yeah. So there's been a lucky element there as well. But, yeah, like, I think Webke, the two best props I've ever seen are Webke and Lazarus. And it was more Lazarus um, before the, because once he moved to the Storm, he was an older player by then, you know, his mobility had gone and stuff. But, you know, at his best, he's probably reminds me a lot of Payne Haas, just in the, I mean, it, you know, for his era, in he, the size of him in his era and his mobility for his size, it, he kind of was able to do what Payne Haas does now. And then the thing with Webke, I always used to say was like, it's it's what he's doing in the 70th minute that mm. makes him the yep. best because his runs in the 70th minute are the same as the runs in the first minute and everyone else in on the opposition team is stuffed and he's still running through them and um yeah it's i, I love talking about old players to him yeah <laughs> listening to, to webkey's podcast he spoke about that and that that was his point of difference because he was never the biggest bloke. He was never the fastest bloke. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, his point of difference was he was always going to be the fittest. And he wanted to be able to, you know, be that guy taking that hard run in the 80th minute mm-hmm. or making that cover tackle um, because he knew that's what it was going to require him to be at the top. And he said he learned that at the Broncos and then learned it again on his first Kangaroos tour when at the Broncos he'd be the only guy going for that extra run every day. Then he said he went on on two with the kangaroos, and it was every guy was going on that extra run. That's when he realised that to be at the top, that's what he had to do. Um, yeah, just to to talk about some of those older guys now, um, which which starts to age you a little bit when you're looking at Preston Campbell's son running around for the Titans, and then you turn to your kids and go, oh, "I remember when Preston used to play," and they go, "Shut up, Dad, get back to sleep." <laughs> It's when you start going like, oh, no, he's hurt. Is he going to be all right? It's like, oh, man, he's not my son. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's weird when you start seeing those things like, look, I guess that, you know, we're starting to get towards the next 10 to 15 years. There's going to be someone that's like someone's grandson who we saw the very end of their career. And it's like, nah, nah, I don't like that at all. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't want to. I don't want to think about that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting what you said there with, with the grand final and you don't win a grand final without a bit of luck. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if the luck was Luai having to go off and Cogger coming on. Uh, I think Cleary said at like full time, it was Cogger just allowed Cleary to do his thing. He didn't have to worry about anything else. He just, you know, Cogger did his job, made his tackles and, and Cleary was able to run the show. Yeah, it was, look, he, I mean, what was he on for, like 25 minutes or something like yeah, that? Yeah, but that was when the comeback and, happened. Yeah, and, and like, look, Luai, I think 90%, 99% of players maybe aren't even there 
you know, and he yeah. played the week before. And I, I think that 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 Broncos pack, it just got, it just was too much. It just eventually it broke his body, and he goes off. And Cogger come on, and there is not one thing you could have said that would have made how he played any more perfect. It was just he did exactly what he had to do when he had to do it. He got out the way when he had to get out the way. Um, and yeah, as you say, like Cleary did say, he said, like, I knew I had to do something at that point. Mm-hmm. And like, tell me what you thought while you were watching that game. Cause I'm too, I'm too close to it to be able to really talk about it in a sensible way. Like all I can, I, I can talk about how much I cried. <laughs> I, can talk, I can talk about all sorts of stuff like that. But as a, a more neutral fan, um, what was it like to see that happen? And because it's not often you're watching a sporting event and you're like, holy shit, this is, we're watching history. We're watching something that people will talk about for, unless something happens next year where someone comes back from 30 points down, like this is going to be something people are going to talk about for 10, 20 years, whatever. What's it like to watch that from a neutral point of view and, like, did you did you write Penrith off like I did after Ezra Mann's third try, or did you always think like they were still in it? Well, nah, um, my dad and I were watching it, and and even when Ezra Mann scored, he was going, Brisbane need another try here. They're going to take their foot yeah. off the gas. They need another try, and he was yeah. right. And um, that's what happened. Brisbane took their foot off the gas a little bit, and Ivan Cleary put. Leota and Fisher Harris back on, mm-hmm. and I was looking like I was looking at the stats. I'm working on a piece about this during the off season, and it was something like um, Penrith, th- their performance, like metrics wise, basically didn't change across the game. Like mm-hmm. if you were to split the number of meters they made, number of post contact meters they made, it was split into quarters, right? Pretty pretty even across those, whether it was the first quarter or the fourth quarter. They were pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. But in that final quarter of the game, Brisbane only made 10% of their post-contact and all-run metres. Mm-hmm. So they, by the time that, that final that final 15 minutes came, they were, wait a second, 20 minutes. Sorry, I was watching the NFL earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, that final 20 minutes came, they had nothing left in the tank. Mm-hmm. They were gone. They couldn't, you could, you could see they couldn't get off the line. Like there was, when Cleary rifled that 40-20, there was no one putting kick pressure on him. He had half an hour to boot that, and you've got to have all the skill in the world to do that under pressure. But, like, you know, we've seen Cleary at times when someone gets up in his face, he doesn't quite get the accuracy you're looking for. Maybe he hooks that ball a bit more and it rolls out 22 metres out. He doesn't get the ball back, you know. Um, but it's all those little things where Brisbane, they had dropped a lot of ball, Um I think only completed at 75% for the entire game. That last 20 minutes, they only had four sets and they only completed two of them. Mm. And, and Penrith were perfect. Mm. But that tells you how good they were at the back end of that game and how much that throughout the entire game, they were just coming at Brisbane continuously. And I think Brisbane were lucky to go into the break ahead, 8-6. It was Penrith that had the field position. They'd had... Most of the ball, um, 
and it was a case of, well, they, they should be a lot further ahead. But credit to, to Brisbane, they'd held on. They defended really well. I think there was a couple of times where it was a last-ditch tackle to to prevent Penrith going over for a second time. But I don't think Penrith ever panicked. And I think they they felt out on the field that so long as they just stayed in that match, stayed in that grind, the things would turn. And I think we've all seen it in, in footy games. We haven't really seen it in the grand final, but you always see it's that it's that next try. And it was that Leota try that really kind of brought Penrith roaring back into that game to not only have Cleary make the break, but it's your middle prop sprinting up through the middle of the field where you'd expect Dylan Edwards to be, but it's your number eight calling for the ball and, and crossing, you know. I think that shows how much Penrith were coming home with the wet sail. And, I mean, it was it was an unbelievable kind of clinic from Penrith to show you how to work your way back into a game and a bit of a, a clinic for Brisbane on, on how to lose a game. You know, they kind of lost their heads. They lost their composure. It shows you probably the youth in that side. I think mm-hmm. what happened to them in that final 20 minutes is, I think, kind of what happened in that first half against Melbourne to Penrith a few years ago. Like, yeah, definitely. They didn't yeah. have the experience across the park that they needed to get things done, and and Penrith did. Penrith had been there three times before. They'd won two. They're like, right, we know what happens in the last 20 minutes. This is when we win a premiership again. And yeah, Brisbane just didn't have anything left in the tank by then. You could see it just in Payne Haas and Pat Carrigan, guys that would normally be able to, you know, carry Brisbane forward, just had nothing left in the tank. And Penrith looked like they were running fresh. They were just running downhill. They were punching holes. They were mm-hmm. giving their halves all sorts of room. I think you look at Cleary's, like, killer try at the end where he comes off his left foot and goes back through the ruck. That was just tiredness of Brisbane. No one closed the gate. You should not have a gap where the ball's been played. You've got two, sometimes three three defenders there, and no one pushed across to, to cover that hole. And it shows you how gassed Brisbane were, but how good Penrith were to, to close that um, close up those points relatively quickly. And then by the end of it, that game could have gone for another 15 minutes and Penrith would have banged another four tries on. There's, Brisbane were gone yeah. and they were, they were superb Penrith. Yeah, it was... Uh, uh... It was like watching a supernatural event. It was kind of strange. I was actually thinking about it the other day where like um and, and and you can see it when you watch the replay where the weather changes in the game. It's just this small little thing, the weather changes and there's a breeze blowing across the ground, starts blowing stuff onto the field. And the game changed around that point and it's just it's just this really strange moment to see happen. And I think that's one of the things I love about rugby league is that it's always got something new to show you because it's such a dynamic game and there's so many differences in like the players and the body types and the tactics and things like that. You haven't seen everything, you know, there's always something new you can see. And, you know, it was like, as, as I said, I think to Nadine, when I talked to her after the grand final, it was like the monster was coming and the monster was Penrith. And it's, it's kind of strange. It's strange. I still can't believe they're my team. <laughs> like I used, to, I remember used to, I used to watch the storm do stuff like this, and I, I used to love it because I love seeing a really good team do really good stuff, and that it's my team doing it. It just seems like I, I'd be really upset if I wake up from a coma and someone says it was all a coma dream or something. Um, <laughs> what do you think about? the Panthers going into next year because they have lost they've lost Crichton and Crichton in that last 20 minutes was about the player of the game himself 
Mm. Um, so he's going to be a big loss. I, I tend to think that the Broncos are going to be better for what they went through in the grand final. And I think that they'll win the minor premiership because I think that Penrith are going to have a lot more representation in the origin team this year coming up. Um, How many more players but, you got that can, that can play for the blues? Well, like I at this think, rate, are we just dressing the Penrith in, in blue jerseys come middle of the year? Could they do any worse than New South Wales have been going? <laughs> like well, I, I have, I have many thoughts on Penrith players in 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 the Blues squad, but more so how Freddie was using them than than the players oh, themselves. Mate, you're preaching to the choir. I, it's going to be nice to see halves that are actually see each other during the game again. Hey, for New South Wales yeah. instead of being parked out on the hash marks. Cody, you saw that in the in game three, right? When Cody Walker played so well, but it was because. Yeah. You watch that game, and Moses was actually able to link up with him during the game, you know, yeah. and actually give him the space to do what Cody Walker does so well. Because he doesn't yeah. play one side of the field for South. He plays both sides. You watch him play. He'll pop up on both sides of the field continuously. Um, but, yeah, look, for Penrith next year, um, I mean, you can't write them off. They've won three premierships in a row, so thanks for trying to write them off and play the underdog card. Um, it's like I'm not right next next year. I'm not right <laughs> up Penrith or the fucking Storm. I just am no, not. <laughs> I oh, all the Dolphins right because I I have, you see it every season. Wayne Bennett's lost the magic, can't do it anymore. And you go, okay, the Dolphins didn't make the finals this year, but they were not the basket case anyone intended them to be. No, everyone thought really. they're just going to be cannon fodder. They're going to do nothing. They'll be lucky if they win three games. And after six weeks, they were top of the table. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's injuries and suspension got to them eventually. And they that's a depth the, thing. You yeah, can't build, a, depth can't build that depth in six months, you know? No. no. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, they'll be better next year. You know, again, Melbourne, Craig Bellamy is kind of like Bennett at this point. You cannot write him off. You cannot write Melbourne off. He finds guys from nowhere and turns them into to consistent first graders, Um Again, I think they had, they had their own injury problems this year. I think at one point they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel for backs and I think for forwards, and they had a few injuries. Nelson, I think, was out for a bit. Uh, Christian Welch was out for a bit. I think Harry Grant was carrying injuries throughout the year. So it was very much one of those seasons of for them um, kind of patching a side together. And they're, they're that good. They've been that good for that long. Melbourne can kind of survive doing that. They're not going to thrive, but they can go deep because they've kind of just – that's their culture, and they've been doing it for yeah. so long. They've been doing it for 20 years. Penrith, um, I mean, you've, you've still got that forward pack, and that forward pack is still outstanding. Um, yeah. it, I'm interested to see how the squad goes with the issues with Luai. I think that's mm. probably more of an issue than Crichton. Like, even though Crichton's been gone for, for 12 months, and he's going to be a big loss in the back line, but I think you can always cover a centre yeah. leaving. I don't think you ever see... I don't think you ever really see a side lose their potency or ability by losing a centre. Because you've still got, you know, quite a good back rower in in Liam Martin. And um, Zach Hosking put his hand up quite well last year. You've got Luke Garner. Um, I think you've got the the depth there in the Penrith junior system to find a good young bloke like um, Sunia Tariva. It's fantastic all year, and and no one thought he would be that good. and it's the same thing, you know, you lost you know, Brett Naden, Charlie Staines, um, you've, you lost Christian Crichton quite a while ago, um, Dallin Watson, Azalezniak, those kind of, 
I think there's anywhere that, that Penrith are going to be okay, it's losing someone in the back line. They seem to always find a junior who's, who's good to go. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more Luai. I think it's more that there's obviously a bit of a push and a pull there between the, the club and him. You know, the comments from Cleary in the media about Luai not being a dominant half. And look, he's right. <laughs> I think any club playing more than paying more than a million dollars a year for Luai is nuts. But if the market determines he's worth that, then he's worth that. Yeah. But it's more, you know, uh, Luai's kind of been seen as that um, that that energetic presence around the side um, seems to kind of stitch the the dressing room together for Penrith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's almost sometimes you, when you lose a player like him, it's not so much what he does on the field because no disrespect, it's not the he's not one of the best top line five eights in the game that you would be losing. I think it's more the way he fits in the Penrith system and the way that he is a, within the culture of the squad is as equally as important to what he does on the field. So I think that's what they could end up missing if he does end up going. See, I, th- I think that part of me thinks that if he was in the right, pl- if he was in the right team, mm-hmm. I think that it would unlock his game a little bit more because at Penrith, the, kind of has a what he does on the field he, like his defense you don't have to worry about that's the first thing like most of the Panthers players you know their defense is great mm-hmm. and I feel as though he has a wider capacity to be a better player and the reason I say that is because of what we saw him do with um, Samoa at last year's World Cup where he was he played all over the field he he, he was just unbelievable it was crazy he did everything and I th- I think that he has that game, but at Penrith he doesn't have to do all that, and that's part of the the thing about the great teams. Like you look at Craig Bellamy, he gets a player and he says, "I want you to do this small task," and he turns you into a rep player doing that small task. You know, I think someone like a Ryan Hoffman, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so Luai has this smaller role with the Panthers, and I think that if he went to the right club he could expand his role and he could show that he is like as, as good as just about any five eighth in, in the game. But that, that club 100% is not the West Tigers. <laughs> That's no, the do not go to the Tigers. I would, if, if, if the money was there, I'd be looking at the Dolphins. Um, yeah. You know, they are looking, you know, Sean O'Sullivan has been, been good. Um, but I think, you know, do I probably have a bit more pull up there as, as a leader in, in the halves department? I think mm-hmm. Wayne Bennett would be, you know, an ideal coach for him. Like he's, like he said, similar to Bellamy, well, Bennett coached Bellamy and then gave him guidance uh, at the start of Bellamy's coaching career. So it's no surprise Craig does that. Yeah. But, you know, simplifying that role and, and putting the experience around Luai to be able to get the best out of him. Now, you might be right in that Luai might have a bit of Mitchell Moses about him. Everyone knew Moses was talented at the Tigers, but he was clearly kind of um, hamstrung by by Luke Brooks. You know, Brooks, Brooks wanted to be the dominant half, and you know, push come to shove, he was winning that battle. Moses leaves, goes to a club that's looking for that dominant half, that's looking for a bloke to stamp his authority, and lo and behold, you know, Moses plays fantastic for for Lebanon, mm-hmm. and then comes to Parramatta and, and becomes a. Uh, Dally M halfback of the year and, and New South Wales halfback as well. Mm-hmm. 
I, yeah, but like I said, it's, it's more, I think, about how that relationship is managed within the club and within the playing group at Penrith. Because you can yeah. sometimes see that, like, you know, some of the, his mates at the club might get a bit offside with the management to how that's been managed because he, he's pretty close with Brian Toto. Obviously, mm-hmm. Crichton's going, but I, I'd imagine he's pretty he's pretty close with Cleary as well. Um, so I think that's probably more the risk than anything for Penrith next year. I don't think they're going to have any problem with their their um, with their actual squad, you know, provided Fisher Harrison and Leota and Yo don't get injured. I think that's their three key players because they rely so much on them to do all that work in defence, and then um, yeah. in, in good ball they're, they're so reliant on them to ensure that they get the space for Cleary and Luai and Edwards to play off. Yeah, and I think if uh, if Jerome Luai, because there's been talk about he could go early and be at the Tigers next year, I think that a lot would have to go right for that to happen. Like, I can't imagine the Panthers are going to allow that to happen unless they get a really, really nice deal out of it. And if the Panthers are getting a really nice deal out of it and I'm the West Tigers, I don't do it because, like, I kind of wonder why the Panthers are so keen on doing it at that point. Yeah. Um, but I could I could see if Jerome does end up leaving the Panthers. And, look, I, if I was talking to him, I'd say, dude, take the money. It is huge. Oh. You're going to be one of the best paid yeah. players in the game, you know. Um, if If that does happen, I could see where the Panthers look to change their attack a little bit where maybe they look to bring in... Uh, a big hard running um, five eight, a, a bigger dude rather than a, a, the smaller, more creative play that Luai is. Mm. Um, so that that would be interesting to see. Or and I don't know their lower grades as as well as other people do, but uh, it'd be interesting to see if they've got someone tagged in the lower grades. I know Cleary has a younger brother who apparently yeah. is very good, but I think it's a little bit early for him. Um, but yeah, it, it it's going to be interesting to see how that does work out. Because yeah, there's it, it you know you don't want to upset the apple cart when things are going so well. But it's you know it's almost forced upon them. I was I was pretty pissed off about the way that Ivan Cleary talked about Jerome Luai's contract situation. I thought it was uh, I thought it was gross. I, I thought that a club coach shouldn't be saying those sorts of things in public about a player that's looking to secure his future. Um, yeah. And I could understand if Jerome Luai was absolutely filthy because I know I would be. Yeah, the talk of a player down like that who's still your player. It's yeah, not like he's yeah. signed elsewhere and it's kind of, well, I can understand where Ivan's coming from. He's obviously feeling a bit you know, let down that a guy he's had since he was a teenager has decided to dump him for for, for someone else. Um, mm. But, yeah, I, I was surprised Cleary took that approach with with um, with Luai. Um, and like I said, that... That, that could cause a, a rift within the squad a little bit. Uh, but, I, again, you know, you've won three premierships in a row. I don't think that with the kind of gravitas that Cleary now would, would demand, I'd imagine, that you'd get too many people pulling against him. Now, it would be a bit different if it was yeah. an inexperienced coach in his you know first couple of seasons where you can kind of go, well, what have you done in the game? Why should I listen to you? It's like, well, this bloke's won three premierships in a row with you guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. You you know, uh, disagree with him at your peril um, because there are players bashing down the door to come to Penrith or yeah, bashing I, down I, the door to, to take the next step from from couple lower grades into first grade. And he, he's, like Cleary, I guess, is really close to, I don't think people talk about him 
in the, the obviously the Bennett um, Bellamy sort of you know step up, but mm. he does a little bit more, and especially when you add what he did at the Warriors, because like, and th- to think that the Warriors had him and they let him go because they didn't want to give him a long contract still blows my mind. Um, to if he does a if he does a bit more with the Panthers. And you you sort of look at what he's done with the Panthers, and then you look at what he did with the Warriors, and you start to have to think about him in a different way, which is really weird when you think about <laughs> at some point someone at Penrith, Phil Gould, got rid of him, <laughs> said he wasn't the guy, you know, and he was tired. Uh, he was tired. Had to go appoint Anthony Griffin, who's done nothing as a coach. So to be fair, everyone gets tired from time to time. Um, yeah, it's 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 really strange to 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 see what we're seeing. One thing I did want to talk to you about today, uh, because we've we've had the chance to just talk about anything. There's the NRL is a really close competition, and for the most part, teams go up and down the ladder unless you're the West Tigers. Um, <laughs> And everyone gets their chance. Normally, no finals for you. Yeah, no finals for them. Everyone in a five-year span can normally point to one team that went pretty damn well, unless you're the West Tigers. Um, now we've got a team that's won three straight, and we haven't had that for decades. Do you think that having a team like that, that has won, and to be fair, it's only three straight, so it's not like we're talking about a decade or anything. But do you think that to have a team like that that everyone has to aim for year after year is a good thing or a bad thing for the competition overall? Or do you think it is far better to have just teams going up and down the ladder you're like on a yo-yo basis? Or do you think it's better to have those teams where you've got to aim for them, you've got to try and beat, you've got to slay the dragon almost? I'd be more concerned if we were like the Premier League and the spending was uncapped and you had this almost fictional financial fair play thing. I think for Penrith, the fact that the majority of their players in those squads are homegrown is such a great thing for rugby league because there's no you can't you can't accuse them of buying premiership. Like yeah. the jokes were have consistently been about the Roosters and I, I don't think they're anywhere near that right now given, um, you know, how they've hemorrhaged players through retirement and leaving and, and all that business. But there was once upon a time, I remember seeing their squad was 13 players, their starting team were all representative calibre and had all represented either their country or their state that season. They're not the Brisbane of 2000s or late 90s. They're not Melbourne that were cheating the salary cap. You know, they, you know, their first, what, one or two premier, the first grand final in that first premiership, vast majority of their players were on, on quite, I would say, normal-sized contracts, you know. Mm. So you can't say that they bought a premiership because they developed those players and created that, that premiership-winning side. Um, I think having a side that is up there, like Penrith is, forces other teams to innovate. You can't copy them because they're the best at it. There was a really good quote a couple of years ago from Trent Robinson saying that, Basically, rugby league coaching is too full of rugby league guys. Basically, we don't think outside the box enough. We're not looking at those pathways for coaches. We're not looking at education for those coaches that are coming from a background that's other than playing, basically. 
Like you look yeah. at the vast, vast majority of NRL coaches right now, and they all came through a junior rugby league system with their club or yeah. with another club. Like Cleary was a well, he was a record point scorer at the Warriors or something, wasn't he? For, yeah, for a I think while. he was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, even Trent Robinson played first grade. Um, you know, Brad Arthur was in Parramatta's junior system. Actually, got told to be a coach by Roy Simmons. So, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he got released by Parramatta. Uh, went yeah. to Penrith, and Royce basically said, look, you're not going to be good enough to, to make the NRL, but I reckon you can give coaching a go and, and oh, got him yeah. set up in the in the bush. Yeah. So that's where he got his stuff. And, you know, Craig Bellamy, all that time at Canberra, you know, even even Wayne Bennett, <coughs> he played Brisbane Rugby League and represented mm. Australia, I believe. Yeah, you know, he did, They've yeah. all got that, that kind of... Right, you know, ex player. At, if I didn't play at the highest level, I played kind of one under it. I've got all these contacts in the industry, and I get it. It's, it's a contacts business. Co- a lot of coaches, you know, they get their assistant coaching jobs because they know a guy, knows a guy, gets them mm-hmm. a gig. But with what Trent Robinson was saying, is you know, rugby league has stayed. Yeah, everyone likes to say, oh, it's different to the way it was played three years ago. And I'd say, well, no, I'd say the real difference probably occurred about. You know, 10 years ago, the last 10 years or so, the way the game is played is very, very similar. There have been mm-hmm. small adjustments made here and there, but there's been no great innovation from the way that, you know, teams attack. You know, they make changes when they're forced to by the rules. You've yeah. seen the way that teams have become so good at running their block plays so that, you know, you run at the inside shoulder of the defender or you run at the gap so that you don't get called for an obstruction or the way that um, sides contest for the ball you know, is, is, is very similar. They just put their blockers in a better position so they don't get called for a penalty. And wrestling hasn't disappeared. It's just they be, teams have become better at it because they're not trying to wrench a guy's head off. It's not mm-hmm. as obvious. But if you've watched a bit of MMA, you know what they're doing. Right? You see the guy grabbing across someone's body and grabbing hold of his wrist so he can't stand up. No one's looking at it going, well, the ruck's a bit slow. It's like, yeah, that's because the guy holding the ball physically cannot stand up under his own body weight because of yeah. the, the hold that the defender had on him, but it so looks so innocuous you can't see it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think, you know, even even when, when Brisbane were as good as they were and even when the Roosters had won two in a row, I didn't really get exhausted by it because the nature of of the salary cap means teams will come down and teams will come up. You know, we've yeah. seen that from the Roosters. They were, they were so good in 2018, 2019. And then they've had a slow decline since then, and part of that is because they've had to release players. Other players have retired. They've, you know, basically come back to the middle of the pack. And I think that will eventually happen with Penrith. You know, more and more yeah. of those players will either get older. Some of them might become a little bit more complacent. Going, I won three premierships. What am I doing this for? Why am I killing myself in the 75th minute again? I've done what there is to do. And I think you've seen that with some of the guys who've left. You know, mm-hmm. Happy Coruscant towards the end of his career. He's won a couple of premierships. He's won three now because of the one with, with Souths. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of gone, I could stay with Penrith, but I could go take the money elsewhere. And right yeah, now, he's like, good. And, and that, like you can't, you can't begrudge any of them no. at that point. It's like, I mean, some of these guys have had careers worth of winning already. And so when they take the money, it's like, like it, they could retire today and say, I had a really fucking good career. You know, it's, can't blame them at all. No, no. And because rugby league, the, the competition itself is so competitive, 
mm. there's always going to be that movement at the top. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's always going to be like you're seeing Brisbane two years ago, cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. This season, one of the top sides in the competition, and they didn't necessarily buy their way out of it. Yes, Adam Reynolds is an amazing pickup, and South should be kicking themselves over that decision to release him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're scratching around trying to make finals, and and Reynolds is is playing in another grand final, and having nearly a, a career year for him, he was fantastic all season. But then you also see other sides, the way that they drop off, and it takes some time to get back. Like you could say South have had that as well recently. They mm-hmm. were really good, you know, five, six years ago. They were one of the benchmark teams, and they've come back to the pack a little bit. Um, the nature of this game is so attritional that teams do come up and, and go down, and I don't think there's any real issue with having a team like Penrith. And I, I mean, they were talking about it in the lead-up to the grand final that they were trying to do something that hadn't been done since the 1980s, and it was giving them something to aim for. And, you know, it's probably um, – you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really funny coincidence that they did it literally 40 years to the year since Parramatta mm. won their three in a row, 81, 82, 83, 21, 22, 23. Um, it, yeah. It's, and it's like – I guess – and we've you know, talked about – it's weird because I talk about the Panthers and I'm like, am I talking about my team too much? Because, but it's like, what am I supposed to do? For, like, not talk about this historic thing that we're all watching happen right now. Um, I guess the thing with Penrith is that for most teams that have done what they've done so far, they're normally in their thirties. Mm. For the most part, these Panthers players, I think that the elder ones are like 28, 29 now. You've got Cleary's 26. They've got a bunch of like early twenties players in their team, especially in the backs. Like you would normally be worrying at the just getting worn down by what they they've played a lot of football over the last mm. three or four years now, um, and it probably helps that they're younger that they can get through that a little bit better. But it's eventually going to take its toll, you know. And uh, you know, eventually there's going to be there's going to be a team out there that just comes out of nowhere, and it's like, oh man, look at this team, you know. And and that's. That's one of the great things about rugby league. You know, once upon a time, Clive Churchill retired. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it eventually everyone's time is up. And, uh, you know, eventually, like I, I like to think about when Danny Badiris had a year off touring for Australia because he needed a break and his place was taken by Cameron Smith. And we all know how that turned out. Yeah. You know, eventually someone comes along who's just younger and they've watched what you've done, and they might have improved a half a percent, and that half a percent is a thing that makes them basically better than what you're doing right now. And it's going to be interesting to see when that team comes along because they're going to – I mean, a lot is going to have to go right for that team. And I think Brisbane is so close to that. Like, they're so close. Mm. But a lot is going to have to go right for that team, and then they're going to have to overcome this, like – weird I don't know what it is about Penrith where they just it's like they've got some magic potion that they've poured on themselves where they just refuse to lose but it's going to happen and that team that does beat Penrith they are going to be a bloody good team and like it's going to be interesting to see what that team does because I thought Brisbane I thought Brisbane had what it took 
but watching that grand final and it's like, man. And look, Penrith might come out next year, finish in seventh place, and it all just finishes with a whimper. And because sometimes that happens with these sorts of clubs. But uh, I tend to think it's going to be the other way where almost like that um, 2021 semi-final against the Storm, the Penrith versus the Storm, and they had like this gigantic battle and Penrith finally slayed their dragon. Uh, I hope it's like that for the Panthers. I hope whoever comes along has that moment because that would be that would be a really special moment for rugby league, I reckon. Yeah, to have that side that comes in and, and announces themselves like that. I mean, I'd like it to be Parramatta. They've, there's a storyline there, you know, with, with the history between the two clubs in the past few years, with Penrith basically winning all the finals matches and Parramatta basically winning all the uh, regular season matches. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd trade all those regular season wins for that 2022 grand final. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, Imagine if they played in the grand final next year, right? And it's the Eels trying to stop the Panthers winning four in a row. That would yeah. be, that would be like, ugh. oh mate, I'd be asking if we could go back forty years and clone Ray Price. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was, I, I don't know where I saw it, but it was, it was recently. There was a, a clip about the eighty-one grand final that popped up somewhere. Mm-hmm. And someone basically, they're, they're talking about Ray Price before the 81 grand final. And he basically said, look, we don't fucking win this. We're never going to fucking win one. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, that was just his attitude. And, and yeah, okay, they, they ended up winning the, those three. And he, he finished his career with another premiership. But um, I've had that discussion with a few Eels fans about um, what it would be like to actually break that drought again. Because it would be almost as... as as groundbreaking as 1981. They finally get that monkey off the back. Mm-hmm. Even if that year it was against Newtown, considering that the previous clubs were Manly and St. George who we played in grand finals, which would have, mm-hmm. if you're looking for a storyline, that was that would have been a great storyline. But it didn't happen like that. Um, yeah, it'd be amazing if, if, again, it came down to a grand final between Parramatta and Penrith. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I can't see Penrith fading away, you know, mm-hmm. going out meekly or, or sliding down the ladder, unless they had some kind of terrible injury crisis or suspension problem where, yeah. you know, they lost a good chunk of their forward pack and, um, you know, they, they they couldn't, you know, it was a long-term issue because it depends already shown if they miss a guy for three or four weeks, it doesn't really impact them, they'll keep going. Um, but yeah. like you said, there's also that they've played a lot of football um, in the past three or four years. And they, sometimes it just become begins to get wearing. You know, is it is it in that you know knockout final? Do they drag themselves back off the canvas again, or are they unable to to finally, you know, keep it over them? And now you've particularly got probably Brisbane coming coming hard at them. They got the youth in their squad, but they've also got that experience now. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said at the start of this, if Parramatta get their act together for an entire season, they can they can put together a season like that as well where where they start looking like they're running downhill and they become hard to stop. So it'd be, again, a very, very competitive season next year. If, if anything, 2023, I think, brought a lot of it back to 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 what I would say is normal rugby league after the, the previous few years of, of yeah. that almost rugby league on steroids, which for me, a lot of those games weren't enjoyable. 
I don't want to watch a team getting blown up by 30 points every week. No. Um, even if my team is the one putting on the 30 points. Because, like, it's nice for you for and against, but you know that when it comes finals, you're not going to win by 30. You know, it's yeah, a lot, yeah. lot tougher than that. So you want to see how good your team is in those pressure those pressure moments. Look, I, I've said through even before the run, like, when it looked like Penrith had a, a good young squad that they had together... I liked seeing them tested. I liked seeing them down and out and having to drag themselves back in to the point where, like, it was like I was being sadistic about it, you know, where it was like, I want to see these guys hurt and see what they do with it, you know. Um, And a lot of those sorts of games made them the team they can get through those tough times and, and learn... Because I feel you've got to learn to not fold, you know. Yeah. All of that comes from having having experience around you of players that can show you, you know, not to break, you know. So, um, yeah, it's – and I agree with you. The, the footy that we saw in tw- – it's like 2021, I think, was the worst year I've ever seen of footy. It, it was completely lopsided. I think there was a stat that it was like the most lopsided season in in recorded history. Yeah, yeah. And that includes like the early twenties and thirties when you had sides dropping in and being promoted and and like thirty five. I think the Bulldogs got done by eighty twice that season. And twenty twenty one was still more lopsided than that. Yeah, and it was horrible. It was really horrible. I th- and I agree with you. I thought this season was. Uh, a pretty damn good year, uh, especially like if you take the Tigers out of it, like even the Bulldogs had some pretty good games. Um, well, the Tigers know, that, even, it, even even put 60 on the Cowboys at one point. That was weird, that, hey? Yeah, like, and then the Cowboys virtually reversed that scoreline later in the season. Yeah, I think that, I was looking at that not long ago, 72 points, I think it was, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I, You know what I would like to see, though, is someone do the point a minute. That would be pretty cool. That's yeah, the well, one I thing mean, I would like to see. I have been to a game with 80 points scored. What um, was that? That was 2003, Parramatta versus Cronulla. Um, okay. The Eels won 74-4. to four. And um, Shane Hain, I think, was a referee. Yeah. And he went nuts that game. <laughs> he sent off... I think he sent off Danny Nutley. Mm. Then he binned Paul Gallon. Mm-hmm. I think he sent Greg Bird, and I think there was there was another bin in there. Because at one point we were playing like nine or ten players, and there's a try where Nathan Kalis cuts through from 50 yeah. meters out, and there's no one in front of him. And Nathan Kalis runs 50 meters untouched to score it. Jamie Lyon scored four. Yeah, he's got the club record. Man. Four tries, five tries, five tries in that game. Um. Hostel holds the record for the club, um, but yeah, it was it was an unbelievable thing to watch. And the thing is, I think, uh, that all happened in the second half. At Parramatta were up by by like twenty or thirty at half time, and then yeah. Shane Payne went went ballistic. And it was like after he sent Nutley off, Gallon like verbally abused him, so that's yeah. when he got binned, and then it just like compounded from there. <laughs> It's, it's it's on YouTube. The second half is on YouTube. If you find it, it's like an hour, and there's a I'll section there where, where Shane Hayne just goes nuts and just starts <laughs> binning and sending players. 
and not, not one of them is a Parramatta player. Like these days, you sometimes see a square up. No. Nah, yeah, yeah. He's just absolutely kneecapped Cronulla. And yeah, oh, it was yeah. left them left them with like I think nine players at one point, and I think ten, maybe eleven players to to finish the game. It was absolutely unbelievable to watch that. But yeah, yeah I'm gonna have different to, to this season in that you know Parramatta was playing like ten blokes, whereas the Cowboys were playing a full like a full thirteen, and they're still yeah, I, points on. I watched. Uh, it wasn't the whole game. I think it was the game highlights, and it was as though you got. It was really weird. It was like you got, instead of having a defensive line, it was like the Tigers were just sprinkled across the last 40 metres of their zone. And it it was really strange to watch it. Um, But, you know, at least Benji Marshall's been an assistant coach for six months leading into next year. So that's going to be good. You know, one thing. Sorry, go on. on. There's a definition of being mentally checked out in that game. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. And look, that's the folding thing. I, hmm. If you learn how to fold, good luck getting out of it. And I think that's what we see with the Bulldogs. I, like, I, I said this in a podcast uh, about, about two months ago now, I guess it was. I don't think even in rugby league you can tank seasons. And, no. and obviously we don't get draft picks or anything, but it just through poor management. I don't think you can have like back-to-back-to-back really terrible seasons and it not affect you going forward. And I think that's what we're seeing with the Bulldogs. I think we're seeing that with the West Tigers, obviously. Um, And, you know, you see other teams like the Dragons are really struggling getting out of that themselves. Um, I think the Titans for a long time have. And look, the Titans next year, they could be a finals team or they could just be 10th. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, they learn to fold when, when the going gets tough. Um, I, I I just think that you can learn to you can learn to fold or you can learn to pull it together and it, it's it's really clear which teams are which when you watch the Premiership over a whole season. Um, you know what? I'll let you go in a second. You know what you and me should do uh, for a podcast one day is have an entire podcast about the two thousand and one Eels team. Who <laughs> I were... don't know if I'm gonna do that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> we can stop, we can stop before the finals, right? Uh. But the regular season 2001 Eels team is one of the greatest teams ever assembled. Statistically, one of the best teams of all time. And uh, like a, a, a lesson in so many of the rugby league lessons that you, you uh, get, you know, taught. I mean, I remember in the, at the end of that regular season, Brian Smith taking a player off the field so they could learn to defend with 12 just in case, you know? Like, they were that prepared. I, I to this day, will still watch highlights of that 2001 season. And Brian mm. Smith, for me, just, like, tactically so astute. And I, I think probably to his detriment towards the end of his, of his career, like, mm-hmm. he was just... I think sometimes he needed the players around him that could execute what he was... Thinking like you look at that 01 side when you've got Jason Taylor as your halfback, mm, you know, a yeah, really that's smart halfback who knows what's going on and, um, you know, some experience but also a lot of really youthful enthusiasm through it. So, mm. I think Nick Campton a couple of years ago, I think it was still when he was with the Daily Telegraph, mm. wrote basically that the Penrith side of 2021 or 2022 had taken everything that Brian Smith had rolled out in that 2001 side. 
mm. and, and and turned it into that that year's like blueprint. Like Smith basically in, in, invented the the uh, the tram track running second rollers. The yeah. way that they were they were they were like Nathan Hindmarsh was an attacking weapon. He was not a workhorse back then. He was an no, attacking weapon. No. He um, was a he was an amazing uh wide running second roller. Not even not wide run and second roller like we see a lot today. Like he was a little closer to the ruck, but he was amazing at that job. Maybe a bit like uh, Martin, more like Martin. Well, actually, the Campton actually made the comparison with David Fafita in that you actually watch young Nathan Hindmarsh, and because of the, the size difference, he was bigger than a lot of the guys he was running at. And he mm. just bumped guys off tackles, and he had a really good off He was a lot. I mean, he was, he was still pretty fast towards the end of his career, but he was as fast as a back. Yeah, yeah. So he had the speed, he had the foot footwork, he had um, the motor to, to do what he needed to do, and um, you know there was the the kicking game of Jason Taylor to pin teams deep, put pressure on them, um, and then their forward pack was could be pretty brutal at times as well. Mm. Uh, you had a really crafty hooker in in Brad Drew, and then off the bench you had PJ Marsh. I love PJ mm. Marsh. I, I will talk about PJ Marsh for hours because yeah. he had two stints with us, and both of those stints were outstanding. Both of those stints, we won minor premierships. Um, he'd be a he. He would be one of those guys. If you could put him in a, a, a time machine and bring him into now oh, and say, "Do exactly what you do, just do you," he would do what he did, and he would still be just as good. Yeah, him and Craig Wing, um, because yeah, at, yeah. at one point they were the two utilities in Origin. It was PJ Marsh off the bench for Queensland and Wing off the bench for New South Wales, mm-hmm. and. PJ just the the skill set he had around the ruck, like he played in the halves, but I loved him at dummy half, um, and that that working in tandem he had. And then, you know, you've got Isaiah Yo, who's the ball player, and then back in that 2001 squad, I'm pretty sure our lock was Daniel Wagon, who came to the club as just a big five eight. Yeah. And Brian Smith's like, nah, I need a middle ball player. You're playing that role, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, look. As you can tell, I probably love to talk about 2001 side. We'll stop before the grand final because we all know. That. <laughs> and I still have nightmares about that. It's any person who knows me, they mentioned Parramatta, they'll eventually bring up 2001. And I'll, I'll cut the discussion short there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, look, it, it, it's one of the, it's another one of those things where you, rugby league just, man, that, that, oh, yeah, I won't. <laughs> All right. It's, it's the one time of... I will agree with someone when they say rugby yeah. league should be per- first past the post, and I'll go <laughs> for that season. Yes, <laughs> I love a grand final. I love watching a grand final. But goddamn, when you play a season that long and you're the best team in the competition by a country mile, nice. and then you lose because of one game, is yeah. frustrating. But I do not want to sound like an Indian cricket fan right now talking about the World no. Cup. So I'll shut up. No. Look, I, I. That's the that's one of those grand finals where it's like I I would never begrudge an Eels fan being upset about that one. In the same way, I would never begrudge a Norths fan for just being upset about the entire nineteen nineties. Yes. <laughs> and the one the one thing they had in common, I think, was the one thing they had in common, and it was Jason Taylor. And I think yeah. I honestly, I honestly believe if there were you could have picked fucking 10 of the halfbacks in the NRL at that time, they would have been fine eels, but they had Jason Taylor, who was the absolute epitome of a great, great, great halfback, 
till the finals. And then he fucking fell apart and he just, he held it together longer than he ever did before in that Eels team. And then it fell apart and it's like, oh my God. And it also helps when on the other team, you've got like fucking Andrew Johnson, yeah, yeah. his peak, you know. There was like, one, one team that was going to do it, like upset someone. Mm. A team with Ben Kennedy and and Andrew Johns, you know, that's yeah, a team that can that that can do it to you. Um, yeah, uh, I I I fucking hate that I do this to you sometimes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do not mean to do this. <laughs> oh shit. Well, hopefully this time next year, we're talking about something that the Eels have done where it's like, holy shit, can you imagine that? And you can just be like, dude, that's fucking amazing. Can you believe it? And stuff like that. And I can be sitting here going like, yeah, it's fucking great. And, and <laughs> being like, oh, how about Penrith, eh? Fire out. No one saw that happening. So, because, yeah, it's like after that, that uh, the grand final last year, I wasn't having you on. I wasn't doing that. But, you know, then I bring you on and we talk about 2001. What a fucking dickhead. <laughs> um, I I always love having you on. Um We'll have you on again in the off-season. We'll talk about something completely random. I'll toss something up to you. I won't tell you before the podcast. I'll just say, how about this? Um, and, yeah, it's because uh, it's always great having you on and just talking about general footy stuff and how the season's going and, and you know, how, what you think of other teams from, from an Eels fans' perspective. It's always great. Fantastic, mate. Looking forward to it. Uh, where can we find you, mate? And also give a plug to One-Eyed Eels. Yeah, yeah, you can if you're looking for your eels discussion, oneideal dot com. Um, still pretty busy over the off season. Plenty of chat now that preseason started, um, and we've got I think the full squads back. So there's a lot of discussion about what the top seventeen will look like come round one. Um, then you can also check out if you're on YouTube, go check out the extended bench. Um, that's been on hiatus, but it was back this week. Um, so that's a weekly look at basically whatever I decide I want to chat about. For rugby league oh, this nice. week um it was a look at the start of next season being in america um very oh, topical go and listen to the po- i won't ask him go and listen to the podcast and find out about what he thinks about that one all right um by the way it, on one ideal is there something that's dominating the off season right now because i know that that every so often on these forums there'll be something that is just the thing that becomes the off season is there something that is the off season on one ideal at the moment it's very much recruitment and retention. Uh, it's yeah. probably, you know, that does numbers every year. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, this season, particularly after the year we've had, uh, there's that. And then there's also discussion about, I think, just, you know, the drought's been so long about what happens if next year doesn't doesn't work out. Um, mm. with two, the two main comments, which is probably pretty normal for a Parramatta fan. <laughs> uh, look on the bright side. Nathan Brown's gone. Everything is going to get better. <laughs> To, to his credit, he was at head of head of junior pathways, and they won SG Ball and made a Harold Max Grand Final. Um, so maybe his his niche is not in the NRL coaching ranks. Maybe it is junior development. Junior footy, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully it turns around at the senior level as well. It doesn't, mm. doesn't need to turn around. You just need some fucking injury luck. It just injury luck and a bit of suspension luck, and because that last year wasn't a, a real. It wasn't where the eels really are. We know that they're better than that. Um, just man, when when Moses went down, it was just like that was it. It was just one too many. Yeah. Um, meh. anyway, 
Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for everyone for joining us. And uh, we will catch us again soon.